Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Hello and welcome to yet another episode as we get stuck into all the football from the Thames Valley and beyond. I'm Will Taylor and joining me tonight are Ben Green and Ed Tolton. So strap in for another episode of Extra Time. This week we talk Reading's terrible form as they crashed out of the FA Cup to non-league Kidderminster and shipped seven to Fulham last night. Reading women's side, however, are flying high in the WSL and our reporter Abby will give us all the details on that one. We'll also be delving into a thrilling week for Wickham and looking further north at Newcastle's transfer business. All that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. That's right. Good evening, good evening, good evening. There is only one thing it could mean at seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening. It's time for extra time on River Radio. The the, uh, the football show here, we're, all, we're ready for it. We're raring, raring to go. I'm obviously joined in the studio, as I mentioned, by Ben and Ed. Ed, I'll come to you first. First and foremost, mate, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, pal. Good to be back in again. Two weeks in a row. That must be a record for me recently, <laughs> yeah, uh, I must admit. Be. Been in and out of the side. Um, but uh, no, good to be back in the chair. You're hosting tonight and I can give you my opinion. Of course, yeah. So let's touch on that quickly, obviously, before we before we say hello to Ben. Palace, obviously, through to the next round of the FA Cup after the weekend, a comeback against Millwall. What on earth is Jack Butland doing, by Just the way? Just kick it. Just yeah. kick it. It's not, um, you know, it's not, it's not uh, something that you anticipate from a goalkeeper of, of that kind of repute. It's a sad one, really, with Jack, isn't it? Because I feel that ever since he got that really bad ankle injury, I think it was an ankle break, wasn't it? Just on the, on the cusp of the World Cup in 2018, it, it never really was the same for him, was it? Stoke ended up going down and he wasn't didn't look you know as it were out of place in the championship he's come back and it's not quite happened for him when he's had a few games as well it's one of those with goalkeepers when you do make a mistake you look ever so silly um but you know I know that Patrick Vieira has asked him to play out from the back but uh <laughs> kick it long and have that argument later um but I doubtless he's thinking the same he, you know he wishes he would have done that we've all done it um but uh but yeah but when Vincente Cueta goes back in goal I won't be I won't be disappointed yeah yeah you won't be holding your breath as much when he when the ball rolls towards him either I suppose uh Ben obviously great to have you back in the studio as well heard from you last week in terms of Wick I'm going to hear from the same this week unbeaten in 2022 though the chair boys yeah, no, delighted to be back on. I mean, Ed's very much a first-team player here at the radio. I'd see myself as maybe one for the future, but um, no, a brilliant, brilliant start. And, and look, like we said, we ended 2021 with a defeat and we started 22 with, with two wins and a draw. So couldn't, couldn't really go much better so far. We will get into it as well, but it's a draw that feels like a win, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> get one over on, uh, on Talk United's manager's uh, son as well in, in Lee Johnson, who's obviously there. Had to get talking out in there somewhere. It's sort of like a, a rite of passage. I think you know that better than anyone. Else, don't you? And you have. Yes, yeah, somehow. So, yeah, so yeah. well done. I've had to squeeze it in somewhere. Yeah, three minutes. I think that took. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, obviously, right, so well, we could talk all night about the never-ending reality show that is the beautiful game, but it's time to zone in and focus on the performances of our local clubs. We begin the show with Reading, who last night were blown away by promotion chasing Fulham, crashing to a 7-0 home defeat. The result comes after the Royals were eliminated from the FA Cup by National League North side Kidderminster at the weekend, as pressure mounts on manager Velko Pavlovic. Joining us on the line now is a very dejected club correspondent for Reading, Jacob Hawley. Jacob, how are you, mate? Yeah, not bad, thank you, mate. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. But uh, so just, just getting straight into it then, it, it was a horrible evening for Reading, wasn't it? Which one? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, a, I mean, arguably the two worst consecutive games in the club's history. Um, the one against Fulham was the biggest ever home defeat in our 150 years, or at least the biggest ever recorded home defeat. Um, so yeah, not not a good not a good evening last night. Um, and you know, a lot of people would have said after that Kidderminster defeat, we'd have been hoping to you know put in a surprise a surprise performance against Fulham and maybe do the double after we beat them at Craven Cottage. But it really was the complete opposite of that, wasn't it? It, it was, mate. I mean, what's what's the reaction from the fans been? Not only to last night, but but the Kid- the Kidderminster result as well. Because crashing out the FA Cup in the third round for for a team like Reading is bad enough. To do it to a team several tiers below you, so it's even worse, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, the the less said about that, the better, really. I mean, <laughs> uh, Twitter's not been a, an easy place to be for players. I imagine uh, the last few days there was a fair share of abuse um, following the Kidderminster game I mean that's a, a terrible defeat and uh, you could you could tell that from the reaction on social media a lot of people calling for Panovic's head um, but the problems lie deeper really um, I mean you look at the, the ownership and the, the lack of director of football and uh, talk of you know Kia in the club being, being a bad influence but um, but I mean who knows where the issues lie and getting rid of the manager is often considered an easy solution but given the financial financial position that the club are in that's certainly easier said than done at the moment. Evening, Jacob. Ben here. Um, I, was, I was just wondering from your perspective, you know, given the, the injuries and, and the financial issues at the club at the moment, how much of this do you put on, on Pornovic? Um, it's tricky to say, really. That's been a debate that's been uh, talked about a lot, whether Pornovic has had a fair shot this season, given all the, the financial struggles and, of course, the six-point deduction. And then, of course, only really having around eight players fit at one time across the whole season, eight sort of core players in that squad. The rest have been made up by under 23 players or sort of fringe players. So in fairness, he hasn't had, he hasn't had a great chance this season. He's been on the back foot, but that said, when, when things are going wrong at a club, it's, it's often that you turn to the manager and he hasn't really taken responsibility. We've seen in recent press conferences that he's shifting the blame an awful lot and, and often saying, give me more time. You know, after the kid missed the game, there was sort of uproar at his his lack of, you know, he wasn't taking any accountability, let's say, after in the press conference. He seemed to be fairly blasé about the loss to a side, you know, four divisions below us, which is, is never, ever a good look. So, yeah, I mean, Paunovic, he's, he's had it hard this season, but at the end of the day, it's a results business and I can't see him lasting much longer. It certainly is. I mean, you, you touch on the fact it's a results business. In, like, going back to last night's result, which I'm, I'm sure you don't want us to do, but that's sort of your role here, mate, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that Fulham can do this to teams. They did it to Blackburn back in November, obviously. Were they just exceptionally clinical? Was it was it a case of, of Reading just not being at the races? I think, obviously, we know Fulham are a good side. Like you said, they've already dismantled Blackburn earlier this season. We know what they're capable of. But, you know, given the, the kid amidst the result, we'd be looking for sort of a response. And and it was anything but that. All the many of the players sort of just hid. 
there was no one who really stepped forward and, and got into the game. I mean, there was a few players, you know, people have discussed on Twitter that sort of, you know, Southwood, um, Dejan Tetic, uh, Kamara was mentioned too. Players that have Holmes um, sort of stood out and, and looked as if they, they did care last night and it was, they were trying their hardest, but a lot of the other players, a lot of the players who you would expect to step up on a game against Fulham that just, just went missing last night and given everything that's going on at the club at the moment, it was not a pretty, pretty game last night and, and Panovic will be hoping to move on after what he called an embarrassing evening. Jacob, it's it's Ed here. Great to hear from you. Certainly when uh, the issues like this really come in that are huge news and, and talking points in the local area. I mean, Paunovic obviously is now under a lot of pressure. That much is is very clear. And on Twitter and certainly social media, a lot of fans are becoming increasingly vocal about their desire for a change at the top. Is it not so much the circumstances that he finds himself in, in terms of the injuries and the finances, but the manner of these defeats now that is so disappointing and why people are maybe looking at who might come in and take his place yeah I mean the squad seems dejected uh, it seems you know I, I can't say for sure but it seems as if maybe he's lost the dressing room um, there's a lot of players who will be wondering where they will be at the end of the season there's a number of players I believe eight who are out of contract uh, I mean Andy Carroll's contract is set to expire this month unless something changes so the club's in a, in a pretty dark place and these defeats are, are like you say it's the manner of the defeat as well we're not losing 2-1, 3-1 against Fulham. We're not even putting up a fight. And if it wasn't for Southwood's performance yesterday, and I can't believe I'm saying that when we lost 7-0, but it could have been an awful lot more. Um, uh, it's not it's not good look, and that's that's not how you want to be losing games. Not that you want to be losing games at all, but 7-0 at home to Fulham, is, is considering everything that's going on, I mean, I can't imagine he lasts an awful lot longer. It's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because the manager, as I think I said last week, is always the person that everyone ultimately could do without. It's the easiest change to make for a bit of fresh air when, in fact, there might well be systemic problems going on at a club. And, and obviously, in Reading's case, that has already found root in terms of, you know, the transfer embargo and the points deductions and, and things like that. Are there shades here, do you think, of the of the Jap Sam era in as much as, you know, one season it's playoffs or very near to the playoffs the next season it's it's battling relegation how do you get out of of that kind of cycle as it were it does mirror that it mirrors that very much in that we know obviously we were coming off of a high season finishing third in in the playoffs uh, and then losing in the final uh to, to Huddersfield of course and then the following season we were you know fighting to stay up again last season wasn't quite as successful but we had a, a great start and we finished seventh one spot outside of the playoffs and then this season, a complete capitulation, not helped, of course, by the six-point deduction. Um, it's hard to say where the club's going to go from here. It seems as if it's up and down and up and down as a Reading fan for the past few years. We need a bit of stability, and, and that doesn't come from changing managers, of course. Uh, people have all sorts of solutions. I mean, everyone loves to, to the idea of occasionally sort of bringing in an old face and someone who knows the club. They like to say, you know, Brian McDermott has been linked with perhaps coming back for another sort of role, be that director of football or manager. But how many times can you bring Brian McDermott back? Because it doesn't, it didn't work last time. So Alan we, Barnsley, we to... Steve Koppel, there's a few names out there actually know, that are yeah, available, I mean, aren't there? Big it's Sam. a nice idea, the, the sentiment's there, but at the end of the day, we need to start moving forward, not looking backwards. And um, there needs to be some changes at the top, be that die or, or bringing in the director of football. Something needs to happen other than changing the manager constantly. 
So, I mean, if, if I had to put you on the spot then in terms of the, the if, if Panovic is to go, which it seems like that's the way it's heading, certainly, just, just from the discussions, is there anyone you, you ideally think could, could really turn things around? Because there's a real, real threat of, of being in League One next season if things don't turn around quickly. Uh, it's a difficult question. It's not one that I've really thought about, if I have to admit. I mean, there's been talk of Gareth Ainsworth. But then why would Gareth Ainsworth <laughs> want to come to Reading? I mean, it's not necessarily yeah. Come on. <laughs> I can imagine Ben shaking his head right yeah, now. Just, <laughs> just a bit. Yeah, we'll just say shaking his head. I won't mention any, any other signals he made. <laughs> I can't see why he'd want to make that move. It's, it's, it's sort of, we're in a club in turmoil, really, and Wickham are on the up. Um, I mean, Gareth McCleary even chipped in on Twitter and said, you know, he can't see that being a good move for Gareth Ainsworth. Reading have had something like nine managers since he joined uh, Wickham, or maybe even more. So so why would he move to a club with that lack of stability when he's, he's got such good things going at Wickham? Um, you know, there's there's obviously a pool of, of championship managers that you could pick from, ones with experience. Um, Paul Neil Warnock out of retirement again, maybe. But, <laughs> and um, knock it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, it's getting to that point now. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see whether Panovic is given another chance against Middlesbrough. Uh, we'll see what happens there. They've just signed a very good player in Balogun on loan from Arsenal. So hopefully he doesn't punish us too much. But yeah, I mean, certainly that's a discussion to be had if and when the club can afford to get rid of Paunovic. <clears throat> uh, I mean, as you just mentioned there, the next game is against Middlesbrough. They're seventh in the league at the moment, just outside the playoffs under Chris Wilder. They're unbeaten also, I think, in their last seven league games. Realistically, what are you looking for from from the players out of this one? Because a win may or may not prove to be realistic. Um, yeah, I mean, a win, a win would be lovely. But like you say, at the moment, that feels very unrealistic. We're looking at a squad who, like I said, seems dejected. I can't imagine they're going to travel all the way to Middlesbrough and pick up three points. Uh, I'd be surprised, you know, happily surprised if they did. But at the moment, there's there's no buzz around the club, and and results like the seven nil one against Fulham just numb people to these sorts of these sorts of results, and you sort of start to look forward to the games less. Uh, I don't know how many people will be travelling up to Middlesbrough um, on the weekend, but fair play to them, uh, whoever they are. And I really hope that Reading can, can come away with at least a point, if not three, because something needs to change very, very quickly. Well, we certainly do wish them the best of luck, Jacob. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Well, uh, I mean, that's Jacob Hawley there just talking about Reading's sort of misfortunes at a minute. If Velko Palovic wasn't feeling the pressure, he certainly will be now, that's for sure. It's a different story for the women's team, though, who enjoyed an upturn in league form following a difficult start to the season. Now up to sixth in the WSL, the Royals have earned wins over Brighton, Chelsea and Leicester in recent weeks. And following that 1-0 victory over Leicester, I sat down with football in Berkshire correspondent Abby Tyshurst to discuss the team's progress and a great result on Sunday. Yeah, they played really well, actually. And I think they, it, it looked as though everybody knew their job, I think is probably the kind of easiest way to, to say it. Like, people were in their positions well and just, yeah, it was a, a real sort of cohesive performance. Um, there definitely could have been more than one. Um, Dowie missing the penalty was a bit of a shock, actually, to be honest. Um, she's, I'm, I'm, I don't think she's taken many penalties in her time, but I think given the calibre of the player that she is and, yeah, just the goal she scored, the fact that she missed the pen, it just went straight to the hands of Lambourne, really. So, yeah, it was a bit of a 
bit of a disappointment that she missed that pen. And there was actually a lot more chances as well, to be fair. She had a, a couple more herself. Emma Harris has really come into her own as well this season. She kind of, she took a little bit of time to warm up at the beginning, but she's really found her feet now. And she's been been tricky to deal with I think she's I, I really like her as a player she's a bit she, she likes to muscle in a little bit and I really like that about her I admire that about her so she had a really nice kind of strike she she um went for a little run down the right hand side and yeah it was a it was an awkward angle I'm impressed that she went for the shot to be honest um but yeah it, it hit the crossbar annoyingly so and Eichland tried to catch it on the rebound and yeah I think she was just off balance so uh she missed it but yeah we had plenty of chances the fact that it was one nil was I mean it's the three points that's what you want isn't it but yeah it def- there definitely could have been more that result obviously puts you four points off third now how good is it to see Reading mixing with the elite yeah, massive. And I think in the last couple of seasons, especially in the summer window, we've had such a sort of exodus of players that every like August I have a mass panic about the fact that we don't seem to have anybody left. I'm like, is there is there anyone in the dressing room? Because it looks a bit quiet right now. And then we've made some really solid signings, um, especially this season with having Deanne Rose and Tash Dowie coming in. It's yeah, massively important. And they've they've joined the ranks and they've slotted into the team really nicely. And even so um signing, which I was not expecting at all. I don't I don't think anybody was expecting at all actually this the signing of um Son of Charles Guard in, in December. They sort of snuck that one in just before the transfer window as well. So I think making all these kind of big signings has been really important. The idea that we could push for a top kind of three spot is a bit mad, really. I'd love it, obviously. As a fan, I would be like, yeah, all over that, absolutely. But I think we have to, like you say about having a smaller budget, we have to... I don't want to say stay in our lane. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? And obviously I want us to achieve and everything like that. But I think we have to be aware of what we what we have and things like that. So absolutely, I think it's great that we're like in fifth right now. And well, joint fifth, I say. With uh, and West Ham are on our heels as well. So <clears throat> it's exciting that there is that race around the kind of top of the mid of the table. And absolutely, I'd love to see us do better than that. But I think we have to be realistic with the resources, with the the players we have in the squad. Um, So, yeah, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Arsenal away up next then. How do you see that one playing out? I think it's just very important at this point that we take the momentum we've got right now with having done so well before Christmas and now registering this win against a side like Leicester into the Arsenal game. Um, they th- well not thumped us, but they they beat us four 0 at the beginning of the season. But at the same time, we we drew one all with them last season, so it is possible. It is there, and the fact that they've just been thumped again—not the word to use—but yeah, the fact that they've lost to Birmingham today, they will be struggling with that ideology. So I think we need to take the positives from our game today and the momentum of the unbeaten run that we're on right now into that Arsenal game without a doubt. And I think just hitting the ground running from the first whistle really is what we need to do. And like you can, it's been proven that we're, we're good at that with the, uh, the DM Rose goal um, before Christmas. So yeah, I think just super positive attitudes about it really, to be honest. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you.
That's Abby Ticehurst there from Football in Berkshire, just talking us a little bit through um, Reading women's sort of recent form. And it really has been a, a big, big upturn for them. Uh, obviously, Ed, of, of the recent results, is there any that really stand out as sort of like the best win for you? Well, I think you'd, you'd have to be the, the Chelsea result, wouldn't you? I mean, current WSL champions, reigning FA Cup champions. I was at Chelsea's FA Cup win against Arsenal and, and that was builders and was the top two teams in the WSL going head to head there was so little between them on paper and they absolutely blew Arsenal away there was just from start to finish they were the better side to get a win against you know that team also who who don't remember you know don't forget got to the uh, the European final very very recently as well I mean that's a tremendous result to do it in the way that they did it's always going to look like a bit of a smash and grab against a side like that. But quite frankly, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And, and as a fan of, of smaller clubs per se, it's always irritated me when, you know, fans of, of the larger sides, oh, well, you know, we didn't play very well or well. We only beat what was in front of us. And, and on that day, Reading did exactly that. And to get a win against that side would have been, would have been absolutely tremendous. Well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that, that's, that's such a huge, huge result for, for them. And, and a far cry from where they were certainly at the start of the season this year, because they it didn't look, they didn't look like a side that could sort of do that. I mean, they've, they've right to the there, but Abby very, you know, very funnily put it as a tied fifth instead of sixth. She doesn't like sixth. They're, they're tied fifth because that's that's obviously a little bit closer to that, that elite top three, so to speak. <laughs> uh, what, what do you sort of think would represent a successful season um, for, for Kelly Chambers' side now, though? Well, I think you've got to be looking at top half. I think if you finish top half, whether it be tied fifth or, or in sixth, <laughs> Um, you know, that's a good season for a side like Reading because even in a developing league like the WSL, there are discrepancies. You know, it is sort of Tottenham or rather it's Arsenal and, and Chelsea and then the rest. Mm. Uh, you know, Manchester City have been in and around it as well. Spurs are, you know, Manchester United. But, you know, then you've got Reading um, sort of making up that top half. I think you've got to be realistic. Um, and again, that's the, the voice of a, of a fan of a smaller club. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think finishing in the top half, particularly considering how the season started, where it started so, so poorly, would be a, a really tremendous climax to the season. And hopefully one or two more, you know, big scouts along the way. We certainly hope so for them. Uh, well, following a recent surge from Kelly Chambers' side, they'll be hoping to keep up their good run in the WSL against Arsenal Women, who will come back into the tie fresh from a shock defeat to Birmingham City. Up next, though, we'll be moving over to Bucks, where Wickham Wanderers have enjoyed a fruitful start to the new year. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Welcome back. You're listening to Extra Time Live on River Radio. Remember, if you do want to get in touch and have your say, you can drop us a tweet at River Radio Live on Twitter or send us an email to studio at river.radio. But now we're talking Wickham Wanderers, who picked up another three points against Bolton last night, courtesy of goals from Brandon Hanlon and Jack Grimmer. The Chairboys have enjoyed a good start to 2022, picking up seven points from a possible nine in their bid for an immediate return to the Championship. Ben, obviously, you're our go-to guy on this. You have to be. Um, Bolton aren't obviously what they once were naturally but nevertheless how good a win is that no yeah I mean, you know Bolton aren't in the glory days of Big Sam Kevin Davis and JJ Kocher <laughs> but you know they, they got promoted last season and there's been a good feeling about the club and they play some good football I think there's a, a slight lack of quality I have to say I, I noticed that last night where you compare it to the game on the weekend which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about you could tell that Bolton didn't quite have that potency in front of goal but nevertheless you know a Tuesday night fixture Wickham tend to struggle on Tuesday nights 
they get the job done. And, and in the second half, it was a very comfortable, comfortable 45 minutes, I have to say that. I think they, they rode out that victory very well. Well, the last time you went to Manchester on a Tuesday night, was it 7-1, 8-1? Only six. Only six. Only sorry, six. sorry. Yeah. I'll chuck that one in there. You went one on the lap though, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When's the last time Torquay went oh, to? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is it's a local football show, Ben. We don't need to get into that. Um, uh, no, and also, so you obviously praised Sam Vokes when we spoke to you last week. How important has Brandon Hanlon been, though, um, to the club? Yeah, he's, he's been a revelation. I think when, when we signed him, a lot of Bristol Rovers fans were saying, yeah, this guy's rubbish. We're glad to get him off the books. But, you know, he's a classic Gareth Ainsworth player. He works hard and he does seem to have some talent there. I think he's got six goals in the league now. Obviously, he had the, the big moment at Manchester City as well, which was pretty great for him. But no, he, he works really well with Sam Vokes. He runs off him well. He holds the ball well. And he actually turns defenders exceptionally well. I have to say, he's done it on several occasions this season. So, yeah... The goals are starting to come from now, which is another facet of his game. Um, but he's also bringing other players into play. So at the moment, he, he's on my starting eleven every week. I have to say, if he's not there, I'm, I'm a bit concerned as to why not. So yeah, he's been really impressive. Yeah, I've been quite impressed with him as well. The games that, that I've been at, he's maybe come on from the bench and, and looked so, so sharp. And it's not just a case of, with strikers, I think too often people just look at the goal column. And if there's not many in there compared to appearances, they assume that they're not playing very well or they assume that maybe they're, they're at the wrong level. But to be honest with you, the way in which he goes about his business, he attacks, he's, as I say, so, so sharp, he's quick, he's good on the ball. And I think, you know, defenders don't like playing against players like that. And, and if he drags somebody away, then maybe he's opening up space for other people. So it's not quite as, as linear as that, is it, with Brandon? He actually, he brings something to the table, even when he perhaps doesn't get a goal himself. Yeah, if it was any other club and he wasn't scoring goals, you'd be concerned. But Wickham strikers over the years under the you know, under the Ainsworth tenure haven't really scored bucket loads of goals. You know, Akin Fenwell had the highest total of 18 and that was in League Two. So he's got six goals to his name and Sam Vokes has got eight. I'm pretty happy with that. I'm, I'm actually thinking, wow, we've got two strikers here that are way more threatening than we've had in the past. I think Uchek Piezu got six goals last year and we were all raving about him and, and gutted when he went. So no, I think for a Wickham team, he's doing the absolute perfect job, 100%. Going back to the Sunderland game, of course, it was a, another last gasp goal that changed the result. I mean, was that a point earned in all honesty or was it a point snatched, do you feel? No, I'm not having this. I, 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 honestly, <laughs> I've seen a few things on, online about it. I think the way the game went, the, the first half, it was Wickham's half and the second half, I think Sunderland got on top. It's a game of two halves. Precisely that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if, if in the first half we edged it and, and Sunderland edged it in the second. I know they hit the bar, they had a couple of chances, but the way Wickham play, I mean, you've seen, your set out, uh, you've seen yourself, Ed, they sit back, so they're not going to have a lot of the ball. And sometimes in those tight games, they are happy to defend. And it looks to opposition fans like, God, how, how Wickham third in the table? How are they winning this game? They're rubbish. That's just the way Wickham play. So I actually felt that when we went 3-2 down, I was pretty gutted. I thought, oh, we don't deserve that. So, no, I think a draw was a fair result and, and also a very, very important result considering Sunderland lost last night. It's strange you say that, isn't it? Because I can see sort of both sides of the coin. As an away fan, I could see why you would think that. But at the same time, I've always said, even, you know, Premier League or whatever, if you've got a strategy that wins you football matches, then you deserve to, to be in that division. And, and Wickham have, have taken some very notable scalps this season. There's no dispute in that whatsoever, I don't think. There's been a few of these sort of last-minute goal incidents. On occasions like that, do you feel sometimes maybe that it is just written in the stars that this is going to be a good season for Wickham? Because it's certainly three occasions I can immediately bring to mind or as a fan do you sort of try to keep your feet a bit more on the ground it's really hard not to and not only because of this season but because 
that echoes previous seasons where we've got promoted or done really well. Um, the season we got went up from League Two, there was three or four occasions where we scored in the 95th minute. And in the League One season, we had some pretty, you know, I'd say 85th, 88th, 90th minute penalties that won us the game. So when Wickham are doing that, you, you tend to, to see they're doing pretty well. So yeah, it's hard not to get excited. I have to say, since the turn of the year, they've been so good. And I go into this game on, on the weekend thinking, you know, we've really got a chance of a three points there. Well, you did mention that game. Obviously, you, you know, you, you, t- you touched on it there. It's, it's interesting because it's, it's some... I, I use the word derby loosely because I don't know if, mm. if, you, if you can massively <laughs> call it that. I did wonder if there would be any injuries as well because I did see the scenes after, after you beat Wickham and Akin Fen were jumping on top of what looked like the whole squad. So I did wonder if there'd be any, any sort yeah. of potential injury worries because of that. But um, it, it, it all seems OK. I mean, Oxford obviously in the hunt for promotion themselves. I mean, first of all, I'll ask you, is it a derby game? And how do you see it going? I mean, it's the M40 derby. That's what it's called, obviously. Uh, Soon to be a classic, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> well, what's Palace and Brighton? Yeah. The, M- the M32? Or M23? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Palace, Palace and Brighton is something that nobody ever seems to, to understand. And to be honest with you, I, I personally don't really hold that much against mm. Brighton. I'd like to beat them, but that's more a, that's more a tradition thing yeah. rather than anything else. But there are some people, you know, be under no illusions. There are certain pools of fans within those two fan bases who have a really thorough and deep-rooted dislike mm. of each other. I think with, with you guys, I mean, with Oxford, it's really Swindon, isn't it, that is the mm. big, big rival. Who would you consider to be Wickham's biggest rival? Well, it's tricky because from a purely geographical perspective, you'd say MK Dons. But MK Dons haven't really been around too too long to have that real, mm. you know, old, bitter rivalry. I think if you go back, you've got Colchester was a really sort of tough one back in the day. And recently, I'd say... Peterborough, Bri- perhaps? Possibly, but even worse was was Peter, uh, was Bristol Rovers and and especially Plymouth. Um, they've been too... You relegated Bristol Rovers as well, didn't you? We because, did. Yeah. Well, it was two scenarios where a game got called off and we were losing 3-1 to Bristol Rovers and a bit of lightning hit the away stand. <laughs> Game got called off and we won the game when they rescheduled it. So I don't think they liked us for that. But no, I'd say at the moment it's it's MK Dons uh, more than Oxford. Uh, But really it's the likes of, like you said, Peterborough, Bristol Rovers and, and Plymouth. But Oxford themselves are no pushover, are they? Looking at, at that game under Carl Robinson, of course, you beat them to go up into the championship in the season that ultimately ended up being massively affected by COVID. How do you see this one going, do you think? Yeah, I mean, like you said, beating them in the playoff final is, is such a Wickham performance. I laugh about it now when I think about it. But no, I, I, Oxford are still a very good team. I'm not sure they're quite as good as they were two years ago. I think they've, you know, Carl Robinson's a very good manager, but they, to me, they don't look as, as threatening. I saw in the home, you know, the reverse fixture, we had the better chances, you know, as a team going away to Oxford. So if, if you'd asked me that question in December, I'd have been a slightly more concerned. But given the run Wickham have been on, given the fact they... They got a point against Sunderland. You know, I really think that could be a turning turning point for their season. I think Wickham will get the job done this weekend. It's going to be another big crowd at Adams Park and if it's anything like last Saturday, we're in, we're in for a treat, 100%. I certainly hope so for your sake. Well, a good couple of results for the chair boys then and a promotion battle against Oxford beckons for them next week. We certainly wish Gareth Ainsworth signed the very best in that one. Up next though, we're taking a long trip up north and talking about the Premier League's new money boys. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. 
Well, Eddie Howe has endured a tricky start to life in Newcastle, picking up just one win in nine games so far. But with the January transfer window upon us, Howe will be looking to hopefully um, that he can bring in some fresh faces. Kieran Trippier was the first player to sign for the tune in their new era, completing a £12 million, £12 million move from Atletico Madrid. I caught up with Sam Mulliner from Newcastle Fan TV earlier today and started out by asking him a little bit about the contrast of positivity on and off the pitch. There has been, but the, the positivity around the club and the atmosphere is has just been phenomenal. It's, it's like the good old days again. Um, just that, that first game back against Spurs under the new regime, that will stay with me forever. I've never heard anything like it before. And the atmosphere around the stadium two, three hours before kickoff was absolutely incredible. I mean, look, as a fan base, we're just, we were absolutely buzzing that the stadium was getting cleaned, that the tacky signs around the stadium have come down. I mean, this is before all the noise from outside starting that we want Mbappe and this, that and the other, which is nonsense. Um, we just want a club to, to feel loved again. Last night, that um, a picture was put out of Amanda Staveley meeting the women's team. I mean, I've been a long-time t- long supporter of the women's team, which have been neglected under the previous regime. And to, to see them taking uh, care of them and showing some ambition for them as well to try and hopefully one day get in the WSL gives me such a buzz as, uh, as, as well. But yeah, things are, things are looking up, but on the pitch it's going to take some time. And look, after 14 years of he who shall not be named, um, we're more than patient. Do you find yourself in a weird position where getting relegated maybe isn't the catastrophe it would normally be? Um, I have a lot of respect for the Championship as a league. So I I like the league when we're not in it (laughs) because it's a horrible league to get out of the right way. And we've been fortunate enough that when we have gone down, we have come straight back up, but it's not easy at all. doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank, that league is difficult to get out of the right way. Um, So... This January window is vitally important to get the correct reinforcements that we need in to get the results and and to finish above what is essentially going to be Norwich, Watford and Burnley. Some good business in the window already then with Trippier signed and Wood looking imminent. Are you happy with those? Trippier deal was fantastic. Um, England international, real quality, proper right back. I mean, mean, we've needed a right back for years now and to finally get one of of that ilk is is amazing. Um, So quickly in the window as well is a real, real positive. Um, The Chris Wood deal, obviously not as glamorous, but I think it's a shrewd piece of business because obviously we're missing Callum Wilson at the moment. He's the man that's expected to lead our line and fire the goals into hopefully keep us in the Premier League. If Chris Wood can score six or seven goals and help keep us up, it's priceless, in my opinion. Um, it's the old adage, adage of uh, Rome wasn't built in the day. Sometimes you've got to get players for the here and now. Then if we stay up at the end of the season, the summer could be a lot of fun with the more ambitious targets that have been um, mooted around signing for Newcastle. A lot of big names have been mentioned in terms of Patrick Schick and others. Is it a case of signing the right players for a relegation battle this window? Yeah, that's right. Um, not every player is going to be up for that dogfight to come straight in and we need players to essentially come in and hit the ground running. Um, with Schick, as much as I would absolutely love him to sign for Newcastle United, and he was my number one striker target um, for this window, um, it may take him some time if he were to sign to adapt to the Premier League and you know, it, it, it could be a bit of a risk. Um, personally, I don't think it would be because I think he's real quality and, and 
would do a job similar to what Papi Cisse did for us. Um, but in the summer, Newcastle United, if, it, if they are a Premier League team this summer, becomes a hell of a lot more attractive um, destination for potential signings. Where else do you feel you may need to strengthen? Um, for this window, once we've got the, the strikers sorted, we obviously need a centre-back. Um, Sven Botman not coming from Lille. Um, apparently the player was keen, but Lille, despite their financial turmoil, have dug their heels in the ground and, and outpriced us for the young defender who, for me, would have been our Vincent company for the next five to ten seasons. It's, it's the start of building a real quality spine of, of the team for years to come. Um, but reinforcements are desperately needed at centre-back. I would look for a real good box-to-box midfielder as well. Other than that, because of January being so tough to do proper good business in, um, a lot of the other positions like goalkeeper, left-back and whatnot, I think could wait until the summer. Sam, thank you so much. Yes. There we go. Uh, that was Sam Mulliner there from Newcastle Fan TV, having a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a chat about everything that's going on for the pitch. It, it's, it's weird. He mentioned that. I mean, although it wouldn't be catastrophic for them going down, he, he, he the, it is so hard to get out of the championship, isn't it? To the point where I, I'm not even sure that's something they want to entertain, but it's a very, very real possibility. Looking back at the signings, the sort of first thing I mentioned to him. Then, what, what, Ed? What did you sort of make of the, of the Trippier signing for them? Well, it's an interesting move, isn't it, from Kieran Trippier, particularly when obviously he'd been linked so heavily with Manchester United. And now I don't know quite what Eddie Howe has said to, to sell him the vision, but you've got to imagine that he would, you know, want to be a part of whatever is is going to be happening or what they feel they can make happen in the next two to three years because he's 31 Mm. Um, so I mean it's a good signing for them he has worked actually with Eddie Howe before because Eddie Howe was at Burnley when Kieran Trippier was also at Burnley as well so there was that relationship there but to go from Atletico you know having won La Liga last season to Newcastle who are battling relegation is a very very curious move and it's one that he will hope bears through his first game of course was against Cambridge United and they lost 1-0 and they're out of the FA Cup yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, for, for you, Trippier, sort of, it's pretty much as good as it gets signing wise, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think they're going to be attracting many current Champions League players. <laughs> I, I think there's quite a quite a nice paycheck coming with that move for Kieran <laughs> Trippier, which I think maybe has played a part because if you look at other big players in Europe, they're not going to go to Newcastle, and this is the problem they're going to have is they do have a lot of money, but players of a certain caliber are going to look at them and think, hold on, that they could be playing in the Championship next season, <laughs> not the Champions League. So. It's a difficult one, like we said. I'm sure we're going to touch on Chris Wood. It's those sorts of players they're probably going to be looking at. Overspending for those players, which can only get them so far. And you do have to wonder who's going to have to go out the door and who can go out mm. the door for good money for them to keep spending this, this these crazy amounts of money. Do you, do you think that's overspending with Chris Wood then? £20 million. Pounds. For, from a relega- I, for, for re- relegation rivals key, key player? I mean, it's clever. They're basically, you know, resigning Burnley to relegation. <laughs> um, here, come down with us. But no, it's... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, Chris Wood, he's, he's not necessarily been in the greatest form. And, and you know, when Callum Wilson comes back in, if he's, if he's fit, is Chris Wood going to be starting every week? But, but do, do you not think it's like a focal point of a team that they didn't necessarily have? Like, they, they, Poss- w- Will Wilson isn't that big man's hit up front and you've got a player like, and I know football isn't as basic as this, but but just, you, you know, humour me for a second. You've got a player like Trippier who whips balls in the box like there's no tomorrow. And then a big man who Chris Wood, who is notorious for heading balls in the back of the net. I, I guess the problem you've got that is Newcastle's team doesn't really play long ball. And if, <laughs> and if you look at their squad and, and also Eddie Howe, he, he, you know, remember what he played at Bournemouth. Mm. This guy is not necessarily 
a relegation genius in terms of how he plays football. So I think the jury's out on that Simon for me. I think twenty million pounds is quite a lot of money, but look, if he scores five goals and they're all important important goals, it, that's worth every penny to them, isn't it? And what do you reckon? Um, well, like you, again, I mean, I think it comes under that heading of, of curious signing and, and jury is out. The two players that it looks like, and let's be clear, Chris Wood is undergoing a medical, so he's mm. not actually not official, moved yet, yeah, yeah. but both of them are over 30, uh, yeah. first and foremost. I mean, you mentioned it there, this concept of Trippier whips balls in and, and can Chris Wood get on the end of them. As I recall, that was pretty much the strategy that I recall Kenny Dalgleish trying to employ at Liverpool when he signed Stuart Downing, Charlie Adam and Andy Carroll, and it didn't really work. Now, don't get me wrong, clearly at a club like Liverpool, first and foremost, whether or not supporters are going to tolerate and enjoy watching that kind of football relative to what they've seen in the past is a different question. When you're down at the bottom of the league, that sort of style has actually kept Burnley in the league for as long as they've been there. And now their focal point of attacks has been taken away from them. And incidentally, it's my understanding that that is because, not because Chris Wood is necessarily worth £20 million, but because he had a release clause in his contract. So as soon as that was activated by Newcastle, he could go. Um, Yeah, it's an interesting one, again, whether or not that's really going to work out. And it's hard to see exactly what the transfer strategy is where Newcastle are right now you can have all the money in the world but are players actually going to want to come and play for you and if they do are they going to be the right kind of players we've certainly seen clubs before go up and spend an awful lot of money or bring in an awful lot of players who haven't actually gelled I remember Fulham doing that under Jokanovic and that unraveled and they were relegated in the season QPR of course as well going and signing players like Chris Stamber, these sort of established Premier League players who, who were held in high regard for performances previously, came in on big money and didn't really do the job. So, yeah, I mean, we wait and see exactly how this is going to unfold, but it'll make for interesting viewing whatever happens. My, my sort of thought was, is that it's actually interesting you mentioned QPR, because my, my big thought was, it. I remember they signed Loic Remy, and it was like this massive, how have they signed a player like that? And he didn't really do that much, because he wasn't clearly wasn't that interested in a releg- relegation fight, whereas for me... That's Chris Wood's bread and butter. It's what he's done for the last six seasons. So I, I don't think it'll be an awful signing. In terms of the squad that is there already, then, not the players that are undergoing at medical, do you think there are any players there, Red, that in that Newcastle side who, who can play a role in the club's future? Or do, do you think it's a clear out? No, they'll, they'll have to. They'll have to play a role in the club's future because, as I say, until they can put together a coherent team, there will be some players who ultimately have to step up to the breach. I think players like Jamal Lascelles, um, you know, perhaps not the best centre-back in the world, but certainly, you know, a leader. Um, Alan San Maxima, if they can hold on to him, he'll be very important. Joe Linton bizarrely enough, for all the memes and all the criticism and all the jokes now that Eddie Howe's playing him, where incidentally he did play for Hoffenheim as a centre as a centre midfielder, I always assumed he was a striker because that is where he played for Newcastle. But I understand, that in fact, that that is not the case. He's looking, you know, exceptional now, so he could play a big part. A player like John Joe Selvey, you know, again, isn't necessarily the most skillful or technically gifted, but with the right kind of players around him, could go on to actually prove quite a valuable asset. But the point is that you can't get from A to B when Newcastle's B is looking you know, up the table, top half European qualification by simply ripping out everyone you've got and starting again. Football doesn't work like that. So some of those players will have to step up to the plate. You only have to look at PSG as well, don't you? In the sense, they've, they've, bought, they've got pretty much everyone's dream team and it's not gone almost as well as you'd have expected. I mean, they, they, they certainly didn't... I mean, I think Man City won that group, actually, in the, in the Champions League in the end anyway. I mean, what, what about you, uh, Ben? In terms of sort of like long-term vision, I mean, you can't see too many being there in 10 years' time, obviously, but like, like I mentioned, they've got to be there now, haven't they? Yeah, well, I think the problem... Like Ed's made good points, but the problem is like, all those players... As he said, 
arguably they, they'll need to sell, you know, so they can balance those books out. You look at St. Maximum, Cannon Wilson, John Joe Selvey, maybe Lascelles, you know, Dubravko is a very good goalkeeper. At some point, one or two of those are going to have to go. And, and the problem with their squad is it's so threadbare of, of talent. It's, this is going to be a very long process. It's not going to be three or four years and they're challenging. I really don't believe that. I think it's going to take a, a serious amount of time you're going to need two or three teams versions of this team before you really see the end product. And that's going to take a, you know, like you said, set maximum, uh, Callum Wilson, maybe Chris Wood, maybe Chris Wood becomes this <laughs> 20 goal season striker, but uh, no, there's uh, so much work to do on that squad. Absolutely. Yeah. The Sorry, interesting thing, actually, uh, as you say that, Ben, and you're quite right, some of those players, may, if they get relegated, some of those players will get stripped out. If they can find a way to survive, and, and I'm under no illusion that that's exactly what this transfer window is all about, can we bring in the quality that simply sees us, and now, personally, and it's only my opinion, this is now, can we finish above Watford? That's what that's yeah. what this yeah. is, looking at those bottom four teams. Can we get the players in to see us finish above Watford? Because Watford, under Claudio Ranieri, have won two games rather emphatically, away at Everton 5-2, and at home to Manchester United 4-1. They've lost every every other game if you can just crow by yourselves above that team and finish 17th and keep hold of those players and keep the nucleus of that squad you can maybe look at it in the summer but the key thing here when you look at you know poor spending of money you've only got to look at someone like Everton Mm. and all of a sudden you can see that as much as people have constantly said going back to the days when Roman Abramovich came in it doesn't come down simply to well they've now got all of the money and they can buy all of these players Uh, you know when Ranieri was in charge there at, at Chelsea they bought an immense number of players in that first season and yeah they looked tidy and I think they might finish second in the league or whatever but it didn't quite work and it didn't quite gel and it took somebody else coming in Jose Mourinho to actually form that group of individuals into a team so uh, yeah you know we, we will have to wait and see Eddie Howe has kind of got the keys to the castle when it comes to the finances we're all aware of that but building a team is something very very different well, something he did very well at Bournemouth as well which I, th- I think is, is a big part of him him sort of take you know having that job I mean if the club are to go down this season then I mean or even if they stay up is, is the thing to do to stick with Eddie Howe do you think they should yes I think so I, I think you've got to give a manager time and, and certainly if they go down and he would have known that he would have known the risks involved in that I don't think it's quite the same as Dean Smith walking into a Norwich but I do think that it was a, a very very big possibility and he won't be you know kind of unaware of that but I think it will be a case of right go down get us back up you've done it before you know the division etc but I think they would be able to retain a core nucleus and still have the gravitational pull to get the sort of players that will get you out of the championship quicker than you might be able to if you're a less fashionable club and a less Mm. big name and a less impressive stadium and a less impressive infrastructure Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The, if they were to go down, it makes no sense getting rid of Eddie Howe. The problem with, with that is the people in charge at the moment at Newcastle, do they have the footballing knowledge to, to make that decision? You said they're, they're about Everton. That just comes from the fact that the people they've got there obviously do not know what they need to know about recruitment and, and, and the football business. So if Newcastle do go down 100%, Eddie Howe shouldn't be walking out the door. But I, I could easily see them, them making that, that decision if, if they do. Well, it's, it'd be easy, it's easy to slip into that Abramovich style of ownership, isn't it? Where you're just chopping and changing until you get it right. And in fairness to him, you know, he gets berated for it. It's sort of worked. It has worked. It has there worked. a few Premier Leagues and Champions Leagues later. I mean, it certainly will be interesting to see how Newcastle get on. Kieran Trippier, though, as we mentioned earlier, isn't the only player returning to the Premier League this month. Aston Villa confirmed the shock signing of Barcelona's Philippe Coutinho on a loan-to-buy deal. Brazilian will play under former teammate Steven Gerrard, who he once picked in an all-time five-a-side team. I mean... 
it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because since I think Coutinho had that brief spell at Bayern Munich where he absolutely tore up trees, and that's the only time since he's left Liverpool where he's looked even a shadow of the player that he was. How do you envisage it going, Ben? I think it has all the potential to be a real success. And the reason I feel that is because Aston Villa, the sort of club that love those flair players, they love that one key player that can drive the team forward. You saw it with Jack Grealish. He was the focal point of that team. And if you're Philippe Coutinho and you, and you hear 40,000 you know, Villa fans every week screaming your name, I think that's going to drive him forward. He's going to love that. It almost how Jesse Lingard became the cult hero at West yeah. Ham last season. I, I genuinely believe that he can become that. And obviously with a former teammate of his, who I'm sure played a big part in him joining Villa, uh, Stephen Jard in, in charge of him. I, I think it's got every chance of, of being a real success. It also backs up my unpopular opinion last week. That's all I will say, because <laughs> Dean, Smith, Dean Smith would not have made that signing. That's all I'm going to say on that one anyway. We don't want to get back into that again. I, I mean, Ed, in terms of like Gerard, do you believe, I mean, obviously he played a big part sort of overarching him as the captain of that team that he did so well at Liverpool with. Do you think he could get the best out of him again? I don't know how much it'll be on Steven Gerrard to get the best out of Philip Coutinho in as much as it'll be on Felipe Coutinho to get the mm. best out of Felipe Coutinho. He's not, a, he's not a young boy anymore. He's a senior player and he will have something to prove because I think he will realise that obviously going to Barcelona in this dream move, as it was, you know, £142 million, I think the fee was, to bring him over there in the first place to win the Champions League. Well, he never did that with Barcelona and Liverpool probably when he did it, the club he left. <laughs> Obviously, he went to Bayern Munich, who then opted to not sign him. And he kind of wasted some of the best years of his career, you might argue, relative to where we thought he could be. I think he'll have something big to prove. And I think that Steven Gerrard will effectively be canny in his man management and offer him a platform to go and prove those doubters wrong. And I think, like Ben, it has the potential to be a tremendous signing for Aston Villa. It's inadvertently one of the best pieces of business I've ever seen, in fairness, getting rid of Jack Grealish for £100 million. And I know you weren't to know that you'd signed Coutinho down the line for what's this, what looks to be a very cheap fee, but, but regardless. I mean, I'll come to you first with this one, Ben. This, 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 just the last question I wanted to ask you both on it. What does it mean? Obviously, they, they, there was a lot made of any, Emi Buendia signing. A player I really rate, Emi Buendia. I think he's absolutely excellent. And it's, it's not worked out massively for him so far, but he's one of those sort of game-changing players that, that they, they can change a game in the right circumstances. What does it mean for, for Buendia and a young lad like Jacob Ramsey say that this signing is it going to knock them off their perch? I mean, quite possibly, yeah. But that, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? You know, mm. if Aston Villa want to become this this top six team that they keep saying they are going to be, at some point players are going to be have to, have to be brushed aside. Now, now, Buendia is a, a tricky one. He's, he's trying to replace some very big shoes. Mm. I've seen him, a, a, you know, live maybe two or three times this season. He just looks like he's slightly lacking confidence you can see there's a real really talented player there um, I think Gerard's slightly starting to get better out and I think Dean Smith was really struggling Jacob Ramsey's been been somewhat of a revelation for Villa this year and I think those two are, if I was them I wouldn't be looking at Philippe Coutinho coming in and thinking that's the end of the road for me I'd be thinking right it's one of the arguably one of the best players in my position coming in what can I learn off him that, that's what I'd be looking at as uh, to be fair, I think I'd, I'd have to agree. I mean, the thing about Jacob Ramsey is it, it, he has been, you know, uh, uh, and become and crowbarred his way into starting line of contention, but he is still very young. If I were Stephen Gerrard, I'd be looking at it and wondering whether or not there is, you know, a, a similar style of, of strategy to use with Jacob Ramsey as uh, Manchester City repeatedly did with um, Phil Foden. And, and they were told him, they were wrong for, and for a keeping lot of the time, him in yeah. in and around the training ground or whatever. He'll have plenty of time, Jake Ramsey. His time will come. Whereas Wendia, I mean, I think the thing with Wendia is that he had an almost telepathic relationship with Timu Puki at Norwich. Um, 
that was obviously, you know, kind of negated when he made the move and he was playing as part of a, and I said this last week, a front three who didn't know each other very well. I think he's best playing off the right. He's been playing in central attacking midfield. I don't really know why that is, um, but I think he will probably move to the right and, and make way for, for Felipe Coutinho through through uh, through the middle. Um, and I think it might well be a move that actually gets the, the best out of him, but also he's not the focal point anymore because people aren't looking at him quite as much to replace Jack Grealish, which, let's face it, was all in a Villa shirt going to be a, an insurmountable task well hopefully Philippe Coutinho can certainly kick on look there's been a lot of agreeable opinions throughout our Hot Topic section let me tell you that's all about to change next up it's Hot Topic across the Thames Valley one more time across the Thames Valley this this is River Radio well now for some pop music try this the football show on River Radio this is extra time. That's right. I'm just so excited for unpopular opinion. I've mistakenly called it hot topic at the end of that segment there. That's how excited I am for this. Uh, as, as I mentioned, welcome back to the second instalment of what is the unpopular opinion here on Extra Time. In case you missed last week's debut, this is where we debate an opinion that may seem at first, first glance to be a little bit ridiculous, but at least one panellist will attempt to argue that it does in fact stack up. It's not me this week, you'll be glad to know, after what I saw three or four head shakes across the studio last week. Ben, it falls on you this week. Hit me with it, mate. What have you got? Uh, my unpopular opinion is that Arsene Wenger done a better job at Arsenal than Pep Guardiola has at Manchester City. <sighs> rubbish. Wow. Big words. Absolute rubbish. Big words. <laughs> Not a chance. No, no, right. So I, I understand the premise of what you're saying here, mate, because I, I understand that there's, there's a big shout for Arsene Wenger, isn't there, that he, he revolutionised football in this country. You know, there were players... Years before he came, not not to, to degrade the quality of football that before he came, that that you know he he's had players sort of like you know drink, eating healthier, drinking healthier, made made it all a lot more professional. However, what what but my, my my main argument with it is that I, th- I think it boils down to to a few things, and I think trophies is one of them. And Arsene Wenger, in in five and a half years, Pep Guardiola has almost achieved as much, if not a little bit more, than Arsene Wenger did in twenty two years. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking based off stats and, and trophies, you, that's a very valid point. However, you know, I'm not saying that Arsene Wenger is a, a better all-round manager or Pep Guardiola is a better manager. I'm just looking at the specific job now for me. Like, for example, David Moyes was the manager of the season last year and he didn't win the Premier League. So it's, it's not all about trophies. I think with Arsene Wenger, you have to look at his Arsenal tenure in two two parts. The first half... You can't. Well, no, but it to, uh, just to fully round off my point, you'll, you'll see when I get to it, you'll see what I mean. So the first, the first part where he had a, a brilliant team. So did he, did he quit for a season in between then and then come back? Or was that well, well, based on this premise, I think he has to yeah, have done well, well, you, well, you'll see. So I'd say until they left Highbury, he's won what, three Premier League titles, a season undefeated, which may never happen again. He didn't win the Champions League, but neither has Pep at Manchester City. FA Cups galore. And I look at that thing. You know, the imprint he left on English football right there is, is just as big as what Guardiola has in terms of the, like you said, the nutrition, the fitness, the way of playing. Because if you look at the moment in the Premier League, there's more of a German influence at the moment, not necessarily a Spanish one with the likes of Tuchel, Hassan Hutel, Ragnarik, uh, Klopp. Um, so that first half for me is just as successful as Pep's. Now, the second half, you can't really compare what Arsene Wenger had with what Pep Guardiola has. But he built that team for 10 years before, no? Yes, but the problem was, is when they moved, when they moved to the Emirates, 
the budget was sliced. He hasn't had 100 million, 200 million to spend every season. I'd be very interested to see Pep Guardiola with the Arsenal team of, of 2012, 2013, where they're selling their best player every season and not replacing them with adequate quality. We don't forget Pep Guardiola's bought in four or five fullbacks, let alone other players. So I think that second part where he got Arsenal into the Champions League year in, year out, has been proven to be an incredible feat where uh, every Arsenal manager since has failed to do so with a very similar side. Uh, I don't know where to start with this one, to be, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. Truth be told, I think it, it, ultimately it's always going to be that kind of pie in the sky question, comparing people from different areas because, you know, Brian Clough went and won back to back, you know, what is the equivalent of the Champions Leagues now with Nottingham Forest. Now, at the same time, you, you as you quite rightly say, if you look at his stats on paper in terms of what he won, then it doesn't stack up, say, against an Alex Ferguson. And yet... He did something that Alex Ferguson never managed with a far less fashionable team. So it's very difficult to compare people from different eras, etc., etc. First and foremost, I understand because, yeah, like you say, you're talking perhaps about prime Wenger. But the thing is, he didn't leave an imprint on, on English football because he didn't leave. And as a result, you, it's difficult to break his tenure in half and sort of forget and expunge the last sort of 10 to 12 years that he was in charge of Arsenal, where ultimately they kind of regressed and, and football moved on. It was almost like he pulled over to the slow lane a little bit and, and football started to kind of almost go past him. Um, but I think there are some very credible points to your argument in as much as I know for a fact that the, the nutrition, the dietary stuff they were doing, even pre-season, you know, what they were what they were doing because they, they never used to get the balls out at Arsenal for the first couple of weeks of pre-season never got them out and then all of a sudden it was that yeah we're, we're starting we're playing football straight from the get-go you know normally it would be two weeks of, of hard solid running under George Graham and Lee Dixon went to Arsene Wenger and said look I'm a bit concerned we're not doing the running we're not doing the hard yards and Arsene went honestly don't worry you'll be flying and that's exactly what happened and they were all so surprised and Manchester United players at England camps were saying well well, what is it that what is it they're doing? Are they eating something differently? What are they What are they doing? What are they, you know, what is it that they've changed? But Arsene Wenger's tenure ultimately kind of petered out. Um, they're two almost incomparable things, but I think ultimately, you know, you put it to us there. What would Pep Guardiola have got out of the Arsenal team of say twenty eleven and twelve and thirteen? I still think more than Arsene Wenger, and to me, therein lies a bit of a problem with the argument. I think ultimately, Arsene Wenger's legacy at Arsenal will probably surpass Pep Guardiola's at Manchester City because the Manchester City manager, for as long as the current owners are in charge, will have that kind of money, and they will always be going and getting the best managers that are possibly available, and so on and so forth. So, I don't think it will necessarily be emulated what Guardiola's done, but I think it. it might well be equaled or or neared. Whereas with Arsenal, taking the Arsenal team from where they were to where they are is gonna be a is gonna be a a big challenge if you're talking about the first seven, eight years of Arsenal Wenger's reign. The other thing that you that I can sadly, in terms of being the show's eldest statesman, which is great for this argument, but in real life is truly depressing. But there we go. Um is that you have to realise that back in the day when Arsene Wenger was in his prime there was Manchester United and Arsenal. No other teams were in the picture. You know, there were nowhere near the same number of teams. Or is it, if you look at it, certainly recently, you've arguably had this, you know, sort of big six of, of Chelsea and Spurs and, and Man United. There was certainly more competition at the top. So I think in that regard, they're maybe not as comparable. That would be my argument against you for now. 
I, I, I mean, even then, Ed, I mean, I think there's something in the thing that you said about the, the nutrition and the diet and the way players run. I think there's an argument to say that's the way football was going anyway, just in just in virtue of the fact that all the money that was being... It was, it was only 1990... Was it 96, I think, you joined? That's right. So it's only four years after Sky had taken over and, and the money was always going that way. The, the, the viewership and everything was... The quality had to go up for the money that Sky were putting into it. And by virtue of the money that they were putting into it, better players would come regimes would have changed anyway I don't think you can pin that all just on Arsene Wenger whereas Pep Guardiola for me the minute he came in to English football you've now got teams like in the National League North and South playing trying to play tiki-taka football admittedly it doesn't work but they are really trying <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean and, and I, I just don't think that influence can, can be emulated I don't I don't discourage what Arsene Wenger did with Arsenal it was incredible no team probably will go invincible again but I just, I just think that there's levels and I just think Guardiola's slightly above that. My unpopular opinion for the sake of this final minute of the show, the Invincibles, right, went <laughs> invincible in a Premier League season that you simply couldn't do now because the calibre of teams across the board is so much higher. And whereas, threw, they threw other trophies for it. Whereas well. back then, there was not the same level of competition. It was tough, but I don't think it's as tough as it would be now. And that's why Liverpool couldn't do it. Right, that's next week's sort no of. Team, no, <laughs> team, no team done it before and no team has done it since. So we'll end on that. There's still time. There's still time. There is still time. There will always be time. That's that's the beauty of it. Unfortunately, we are running out of it here, though, on Extra Time on River Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've got through loads and then, uh, we'll be back at the same time next week. Uh, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you very much. been a pleasure to not sit in the hot seat, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to another chat next week Ben thank you so much and um, hopefully we can we can pick up on a good Wickham result next week as well we will be picking up we will be picking up